Welcome to the Pardon My Art podcast, your window into the world of contemporary arts and its creators with me, your host, Oscar Castro. This show is all about the artist. Our podcast features creatives doing amazing things in the art world and across a wide range of artistic mediums to help inspire other artists to reach their full creative potential. Today's guest is Yasmin Hernandez, a Brooklyn-born and raised artist based in El Oeste de Borinquen. Yasmin and I have a number of mutual friends and associates, and watching her share her art and her activism clearly made her someone who I could connect with about the motherland and art related to the place of our ancestors. Yasmin's work as a portrait artist is rooted in new and ancestral liberatory practices. Her 2009 project, Vieque, Tierras de Valientes, a tribute to activists who ended U.S. Navy bombing practices on Vieques, led her to the bioluminescence areas along the coast, and this transformed her creative aesthetics and also inspired her 2014 rematriation to the island of Puerto Rico. Living four months without electricity after Hurricane Maria, the fireflies of those dark nights reignited her interest in bioluminescence. While reflecting on the perpetual darkness of power outages, climate change, and colonialism, in the fall of 2022, she launched Cucuba Nacion, an art space in Mayaguez dedicated to the liberatory lessons of Boricua bioluminescence. Yasmin's art is inspiring and thought-provoking, allowing the viewer to see her full, authentic self emoting through her art. Her rematriating Borinquen project explores the decolonial journey home in aesthetics inspired by the Puerto Rico Trench. Yasmin is a BFA in painting from Cornell University and has worked as an educator with Taller Puerto Riqueño in Philadelphia, El Museo del Barrio, and the Studio Museum in Harlem. Let's dive into the conversation. Well, hello, Yasmin, and welcome to the Pardon My Art podcast. How are you today? I'm okay. I'm well. Thank you. Hoping you were too. Yes, yes. I am not where you are, I think. And I, I would be much better off if I were in a warmer climate where I needed to have a fan on. So I, <laughs> so I envy that. I'm, I'm here in Philadelphia wishing I were in on the island, but I'm not. So I'm do, but I'm doing well otherwise. Yeah. And, you know, let me um, start with the first question that I always ask my guests, which is, how do you define yourself as an artist? Um, hmm. <laughs> Simple question, but it just, it takes a lot of thought. Um, how I define myself as an artist, uh, very basic, is that I consider myself mostly a portraitist. I love painting people. Um, and... Art for me, though, is beyond making photos and images. It's, um, it's a way of life. It's a way to navigate life. It's a way to um, bring about justice and balance in my world and the collective greater world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been turned on to your art for quite some time. I mean, like, we don't really, really know each other, I think, other than through social media. And we have a number of mutual friends, I believe. Some of them artists, many of them activists. And uh, I think what has attracted me to your art is the sensibility around culture and politics that you bring, which I, you know, I feel a strong kindred uh, spirit with that. I, I like to emote my cultural heritage, my political leanings as it relates to my cultural heritage. And I find that in your art uh, as as well. And it's amazing. So one of the things that I wanted you to talk a little bit about was the concept of art rooted in rematriation and liberation. Can can you go deep into that? Yes, absolutely. Um, so nine years ago, I moved. I, I'm actually I need to backtrack and say that I was born in Brooklyn. 
and raised there, two parents who were born in Ponce, both of them. And so nine years ago, I moved to Puerto Rico, not to Ponce, but to Aguada. And uh, when I arrived, I would always say that I arrived at the womb, that this was coming back to the womb. And so then a couple of years in, I recognized that the, the word to define that would be that I rematriated, that it, because in Spanish, la matriz is the womb, right? And so I understood, like, the more that I started to delve into this, I realized that my artwork since the beginning, since I started studying art at 14, I started really painting at 13, went to an art high school. Um, it was always a way to, to kind of close this gap of the Puerto Rico that I did not know, the Puerto Rico that I felt disconnected from. So I realized that art was always a way for me. First, I was expressing this desire for liberation. And then part of that was also expressing a desire to rematriate, to reconnect with this ancestral womb of mine. And so even before I could articulate that and state it, like I do now, more recently, in going back, I could recognize that I have always done that with my art and with my writing and with my activism. Yeah, that's powerful, powerful, very powerful. And I, you know, I think again about the liberation consciousness, you know, also being Boricua and having a lot of my my early influences in life being not not being exposed to art from from the island or artists from the island i you know i grew up in an african-american suburb in south jersey just south of philadelphia so my family were the only puerto ricans on in the neighborhood for many years and while we lived with people of color it was different i my my you know my cousins were in brooklyn my other cousins were in the Bronx, you know, I didn't get to see them very often. But when I did, it was like, wow, I'm getting like a dose of, of Puerto Rico and, and trying to like, you know, soak it all up, but not having a whole lot of access to to art and other than music, perhaps, you know, listening to salsa and merengue. So like it wasn't until my college years that I even discovered where my vein was in the context of liberation and, and being an artist and, and being exposed to people like BD Thomas and others. Tell me like, how did you, how did you find your way into, you know, seeing the struggle, if you will, as it is, and, uh, you know, having your art emote that struggle. It started with my father. It started with, uh, so the irony is that I, I you know, at home had two older siblings and I don't believe he did this with them. But uh, when I was in high school, I was going to school in Manhattan, but living in Brooklyn, in East New York, Brooklyn, and then taking three trains to um, LaGuardia High School. And every now and then, and I don't even know how we worked this out because we didn't have cell phones. So I don't know how my father would decide that he would pick me up, how we would meet. I, I even wonder how we used to live right back then. Um, and for some reason on those rides home, and it was a mad long ride, like an hour and driving the whole time, he would talk about he would talk about Ponce in particular, where he was from, and all things Ponce, from Plena to Pedro Albizu Campos to La Masacre de Ponce. And he spoke a lot about the nationalists. He loved Don Pedro. Um, he would even speak of things like our ancestry, you know, our African and indigenous ancestry, and focus on those things that were not the norm to talk about, say, in the media, or that 
people that the, the things that might have been more taboo, like the massacre Cerro Maravilla and things like that. Um, and I think it was through him, right? So he would have these talks with me and then I was learning to draw and paint and I would make my paintings about this stuff because it became this space where I could, like I, I used to journal desde chiquita and uh, I realized that I could use my art to as a place for like to document and record and advance my self-education um, and certainly by the time I got to college, by the time I, I went to university, like having access to all these books and libraries and, and some radical professors where, where I was studying, that's where it all just kind of blew up for me, you know, meeting other students. It was a time on that campus that there was just something, there was like a flavor in the air, a thing in the air where there was a lot of, um, radical thought, a lot of activism, and I was blessed to be there at that time. And that's where it all took off for me. Mm -hmm. And, and you, um, you mentioned earlier how you, how you define yourself. I, I see you also doing mural art. And that's like, for me, that's like larger than life work. One of my mentors is Oscar Lopez. I see this larger than life image of, you know, one of my heroes and hoping that you had an opportunity to meet with him and talk with him. I'm hoping that, that, that there's, a, there's a story in how that mural uh, came to life. There's a story, uh, yes. It, ironically, though, in terms of how I identify as an artist, I never identify as a muralist. People will call me a muralist and I don't um, take that term for myself because... I don't consider myself a muralist. Like, there are people who, like, I'll say, like, you know, Tina Turner was a private dancer. I consider myself a private painter. Like, that's very much my personal process. The process of painting a mural is very, like, a vulnerable process to me. Like, paintings, you got to figure stuff out. And then there's that part, like, you're always going to go through the funk phase, right? You have to work it out and things ain't working out. And I think that people who do murals are against the elements. Uh, for however much of a skill they're working with, you know, they, they're like up on ladders and scaffolding and stuff like that against rain, against sun. In the case of the Oscar mural, the wall, like the sun would rise behind the wall. And it was like a mad dash to get that, you know, to get as much painting in before noon, because at noon, the sun would come above the roof and pound on my forehead. Right. So like here in Puerto Rico in the tropics, the first time I helped someone paint a mural I almost fainted like I <laughs> I was like you know growing up in the city people think that we're tough and all this stuff and resilient but like you know, we could be lightweight when it comes to the elements and especially the tropical elements it's something we have to initiate into so that's besides the point but I, I just wanted to say like painting in the tropics with a hoodie and a hat and long sleeves to protect from the sun first and foremost must respect the sun as for Oscar I wanted to paint that mural. Um, some friends of mine put together an exhibition, Marisol y Gustavo, they live in San Sebastián, which is Oscar's hometown. Um, and that exhibition was called Una Sola Voz, and Elisam Escobar, who's one of Oscar's comrades, had helped with that, and who we unfortunately lost recently. Um, but uh, there was a lot of buzz around just getting Oscar out, man. Like he was about to, I think he was turning 73. I don't remember the exact age, but it was just like, just tiempo, you know, we got to get him out of there. Um, and it had been like 34 years, you know, like all of this stuff. And I thought, 
I want to paint a mural for his birthday, right? Like his birthday is on January 6th, which is what lends itself to the imagery in the mural. Um, for whatever reason, I couldn't do that mural for his birthday, but I still had the empeño that I was going to get it done. And the idea was to do the mural so that he could come, you know, so it would be there for his birthday. I got to connect my computer. On January 6th, I don't have the mural, but I don't remember exactly what the time frame was. Soon after his birthday, they announced that Barack Obama had commuted his sentence. And then that was in January. And then a couple of like days after that, I was outside, see the constellation of Ryan's belt and uh, what we call here Los Tres Reyes, right? We call them the three kings because those three stars are most visible in the sky this time of year, like from December, like right before the holidays through this time. And it was literally around this time that I was seen on like January 20 something, lived in an area that was very campo in Moca. And I look up at the stars and then I notice to one side, a really red star and to the other side, a really blue star. I had never noticed these stars before so much that I even looked them up. What are these stars on either side? I had known Orion's belt, but not the other stars. They're called Beetlejuice and Rigel. I've heard people also pronounce it Beetlegeist. So we think of Beetlejuice, we think of the movie, but it's not spelled like that. But what I saw was that the three, the three stars made like this sort of border. And with a red star and a blue star, they created triangles on either side. And so what I actually saw were the triangles of the Puerto Rican and Cuban flags, respectively, right? Like, we know these are our sister flags. We know they were designed together in New York. Um, and just our struggle, our liberation struggle has been so interwoven always with that of Cuba's. And so that is where I got the idea of creating um, this mural that features above it those two stars back to back um, as like these nebulas, Los Tres Reyes in the middle, because Oscar was born in El Día de los Reyes. And then in the foreground is, um, a, you know, I painted these images, the Santo de Palo, like these wooden saints, the Los Tres Reyes, that come from the town of Unmigueros. Every year they would do a promesa los reyes. Um, and those are the three kings beautifully carved, huge, that they would put on the altar in this promesa. And so because of Filiberto Ojeda Rios, right, um, thinking of all these freedom fighters in our history and he having lived and having been assassinated in the town of Unmigueros, that's what I put at the foreground of the mural. And so I didn't get it done for his birthday, but I got it done in time to welcome him home. He, he was released, I think, sometime in the winter, right? But he wasn't officially released. He was like on, on uh, what do they call that? Whatever, like con un grillete or like with this electric monitoring device and had to be in his home and stuff. And then in May was when he was officially, I believe May 17 was the day when they welcomed him to San Sebastián, welcomed him home, the mural was there. So I have met Oscar, not around the mural. <laughs> There's a photo of him that he took where he's touching the mural, something like that, that was taken at the radio station, Radio Raíces in San Sebastián, um, where the mural is. But I have had the pleasure of 
meeting Oscar on a couple of occasions. And um, one, mo- one time I had a moment with him and my family between a huge Puerto Rican flag and the sunset. And so that, you know, I won't talk much about that, but it was a very special um, moment that we shared. There might be a, an image on Facebook circulating of that moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. I, I got, uh, I don't get, uh, what's the term? Celebrity shy. There's another term for that. Um, often. And I've been around a lot of famous people. But when he came out and was visiting in New York, Sometime that year, I was invited to come and, and, and be in the audience and, and hear him talk and, and meet. And the best I could do I, was just take a picture. I was just I was so overwhelmed with joy and uh, admiration that I, I couldn't even really speak. I was, and that rarely happens to me. So that was a very touching moment. I wrote him a letter when I was in college. And he wrote he wrote a letter back. And I, I for the last 30 some years, however long I've been out of college, I've been looking for that letter. I, I can't find it. I don't know where I stashed it. So one day I hope, you know, when I pass my, you know, my, my family will dig into my stuff and find it and memorialize. But that was a very that that letter was uh, was powerful for me when when I was in college, really, you know, following in this context of learning, but also wanting to do more, you know. And uh, so I applaud you for for like weaving art into into this struggle and you have to and and even uh there's a quote of his that says we could be creative even in the urn of hell i think i don't know if it was the arms or the urns of hell alwasi pero he's a painter he's an incredible painter he's an incredible painter and then you know uh carlos alberto uh, torres is a, a a potter and makes beautiful ceramics and elisam escobar uh, went in as a because I under, I understand I'm not sure if Oscar and Carlos Alberto started creating while incarcerated but in the case of Elisam he you know he had been an artist from the beginning and was arrested and it's also something we have to consider that when when they were taken right and and for all the terms that they were called and labeled. It, it has to be noted that the people taken were the creators, the teachers, the educators, the cultural workers, which is what this group of people primarily was, you know, um, to consider the impact, to consider the impact of what it means to to hold those, hold the culture that in and of itself is a weapon. You know, you want to talk about armed struggle, revolutionary struggle, but enough of us don't consider how culture in and of itself and art and creativity in and of itself are weapons. Um, yeah. That's, uh, that's a great segue. Uh, you know, I, I feel like the, um, the subversion of art, if you will, has, you know, all across the world where you see, you see movements popping up and it is the culture warriors and the artists and the, the poets and the painters who are the ones being disappeared uh, and I, you know, in my mind, that's because artists generally, and not exclusively, but generally have a deeper critical analysis of the world than everybody else who's going on their rat race, day to day, nine to five, you know, mundane reality. And uh, and even some of us artists get caught up in that because we have to live, we have to eat, we have to struggle with the system. Uh, and so my question is really, how do you find the balance for creating art in this in this liberation minded context and also you know feeding yourself and uh, paying your bills and being an artist that is trying to move people 
with your art rather than just, in my mind, create art that will wind up on people's walls and, and, and kind of match with the couch or something like that. You know, there's a place for those kinds of artists. Don't get me wrong. Um, but your art is definitely more poignant. Um, thank you. Uh, it's been a balance. It's been a struggle. Um, it, uh, definitely there's a, there's a sacrifice, uh, made there, right. To consider, uh, what my priorities are. My priorities have always been the art itself. Then, then it has been the money. You know, I, I don't got problems shopping for like $10 jeans, right? Like I said, that don't, I don't need that. Like if it's between um, staying true to my art and form and form and content and rocking some like jacked up gear, it, that's, it's good with me, right? I, I'll walk around looking busted. I got no problems with that. So um, for me, you know, it, it got really real, I think, with children that that's where the struggle once I became a parent and then, you know, what you know, there's certain things that I can choose to, a certain lifestyle that I could choose to live, but then it gets real different when you are imposing this way on children. And and so thankfully I'm partnered. I live with, you know, my husband many years and their father and, and we're a team and we work things out and um, we take turns with things. But in New York City, it, it worked out well for me. And in Philly, I live, actually lived in Philly for like two years. Um, but uh, in, in those cases, I was working with very specific cultural institutions. I was working in Philly con Taller Puerto Riqueño. And then in New York, I was working with the Studio Museum in Harlem and in Museo del Barrio. And those were like very deliberate decisions that I had made that would allow me to work in an institution, an art institution, but one that works specifically with the communities that I was most committed to serving, right? And with the artists whose work I most respected. So in that case, that worked out well for me. And then I would like travel and do college gigs and stuff like that. Um, and But then when I moved to Puerto Rico, that was a whole other reality. Um, like a straight whole other reality. The, 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 the resources were very scarce, right? Um, and still are, and still are. So it's very much like creativity also extends into how you sustain yourself, how you make it work. Um, but another story with, with Oscar, to tie back to Oscar, is that when I first moved here um, and was looking for a school for my children, the school that I found was actually, uh, the school unfortunately is no longer there, no longer in existence, but it was a school founded by Oscar's sister. And so um, after a while, I had an opportunity to teach there. So the irony was that <laughs> with Oscar's release, it was just a little, it was a, a little more interesting for me because of that connection to, to the school and to this family, right? Um, and, and that gave me some support for some time, you know, that I could uh, have my children educated there and that I could also teach there at the same time. Um, so, but, but life also gets poetic like that, right? Like you follow people as your heroes and then with synchronicity, right? We're all like magnets and we gravitate towards one another without even like planning it that way. That's how it worked out when I arrived. Um, you know, most recently I opened up an art space in Mayagüez and, and that's been very interesting to consider how to sustain the space, but also, um, 
how in sustaining the community, the resources kind of are emerging. I, I don't know how to explain it. It's like uh, some like cooperative economics type business that when you make the sacrifice to commit to serve in a certain way, it just, yo, it aligns. Like things align. It's not like I'm saying, yo, money's coming from different, but just like when you align and you just got to find like where it connects and where it's going to click, and then you'll start to see things moving, right? Like all those blocks seem to start lifting and, and, and it's really beautiful how that unfolds. That was like a long convoluted response to, to that question. That was great though, because it, it uh, leads me to a, another related question. I, I, again, as I've been looking at your art and you have, you, I think you, you definitely have an interesting style and a brand. It's, it's very consistent. What I like uh, particularly about some of your art is that it also, it's very uh, spiritually evocative, I guess. And I don't know if that's how intentional that is. Uh, it seems, especially as I was looking at the, the Matria, uh, uh, the, like what reminded me of the Atabe uh, petroglyph, the, at least one or two of the compositions were in the form of what we've seen uh, of her on the petroglyph and then other iterations of her but very like cosmic and very like out outworldly. And so I wonder how spirituality informs your work. Very much. Um, very much so. I think that in the past I was much more vocal about the politics and, and that aspect, right? Uh, liberation and justice and lack, the lack thereof, right? Of those things was what I was most vocal about. Um, but I think that I also, uh, in, in my formation, like politically and artistically, like I always, uh, I think that the, the other huge part of my work is visibilizing. One of the things that has bothered me most and what I see about this whole colonial thing is this, this imposed invisibility. And so part of visibilizing was um, wanting to show that we had, that we came with our own traditions, we came with our own beliefs, that whether they were from our African ancestors or whether they were our own indigenous, you know, ancestors from here, that um, indigenous practices, I say, all of them are our ancestors, just the same, that we had these things. And then I did that earlier because I also grew up Catholic, but I also grew up in an espiritista family, right? In that in that tradition. So um, I grew up very aware of the spirit world in communication with the spirit world. And that has always been central, but it's never been something that I've talked about a lot. I've never, I've always kept that like sort of on the hush, like that's just a very personal part of me. Now it's emerging much more strongly in my work so that then the work that I do around bioluminescence Certainly the Atave pieces, and I don't know if this is the one you refer to, but one in particular, Atave Caraya, where she has the moon behind her and it has a dark background, is actually an Atave Yemaya fusion, right? Because both as goddesses, one Yoruba, one um, uh, indigenous to here, that, that uh, they're both goddesses of fertility, of water connected to the moon, um, and so that was actually one of the last pieces I did before I left New York. And it really spoke to this process of like rebirth for myself and this journey of returning. But now with the 
the bioluminescence pieces that I'm now pushing through this space and this project of Cucubanación. I've been working with bioluminescence for over 10 years, like maybe 13, 14 years, and as uh, influenced and inspired by Vieques. But really what that bioluminescence is, although I'm painting like the glow of these microorganisms in our waters or whether it be Cucubanos or Lucienagas or what have you, um, the truth is that I'm also really exploring that glow as like spirit energy, right? Like if we could see our own spirits and see our ancestors, what would that glow look like? And, and that is how I arrived at bioluminescence. It's amazing. I, I don't think I had seen all of your, your art, uh, you know, outside of what you have shared on social media and, and looking at your, your website just blew my mind. Incredibly inspiring, I think, too. I always found myself fascinated towards, you know, and gravitated towards the, uh, the colorful art pieces. I would go to the art museum, you know, I, I love looking at Renaissance paintings, don't get me wrong. But when I started to see more of the like popular art imagery or imagery from colonized places, you know, like Haiti and, and other places where the color is just popping and popping. And I, you know, I feel like I, I prefer that. It's just it's an amazing thing to see color style showing up in a way that is not just, you know, popular cultural, but stylistically, I think, indigenous to where you're from. And uh, so, I, I, again, like I'm, I'm just fascinated as I, I, I want to see more of myself doing similar kinds of art and being inspired by your art is is amazing. So I appreciate I appreciate you for your inspiration, um, and the fact that you use it looks like I mean, I'm looking at one of the pieces here in uh, El Museo de, de Bajo and the Soul Rebels piece, the doors. It looks like and like so you're doing more than just canvas pieces and you're using other materials. How like how, how, do you have a preference for where you kind of like put the paint on and how that you know works for you? Um, I that it's all. I used to just work on canvas just because whatever, that's what, as a painter, right? That's like what you mostly are, are taught that the convention is to work on canvas. But around that time, I'm wondering if Soul Rebels was the first. It, it might have been the first. I never connected it this way. So you just kind of like helped me think about it like this. That um, those were done on Masonite just because they were actual door panels of the lobby at the time, right? That was before the Musa del Barrio changed their entire lobby. And uh, I worked directly on the Masonite. There were like these panels that had museum signage. And so, but after that, after uh, 2005, I, we, that, that exhibit moved to Puerto Rico, but the door stayed in the building in New York. So I needed another round of Soul Rebels and for the one in Puerto Rico, where I was, I was focusing on like this Hibaro tradition and siembra, you know, planting and the fact that Puerto Rico just declining agriculture since, you know, the U.S. invasion, I decided to paint on burlap because of what burlap meant for farmers, right? Like that's, it's all, in Espanol le dicen la tela de saco, it's supposed to be like, the fabric of the poor supposedly is also associated with Baba Luaye in the Yoruba tradition. And so I painted on burlap and it was no color. It was all earth tones. And so that was the first time that I started this practice and I continued this practice. Um, when I get real comfortable with a particular material, 
I'm called to scrap it in and like change it for something else. It's like a process of constantly challenging myself or trying to elevate. And what I understand is that the material is as important as the content, right? So then after that, there was a project that I did on the this whole kind of subversives of Puerto Rican, you know, Puerto Rican suspected subversives as the government, the U.S. government would call them. And uh, for that, I worked directly on Manila file folders because I was talking about La Calpeta and the whole system of like surveillance, um, surveillance files. So I'm like, if this is what we're talking about, let's do it on what we're talking about. Let's use file folders. And then, um, and then that just started a process of, of just playing with material. The next thing that I want to do is on, on black velvet. Like I want to go back, <laughs> focusing on, on deep sea bioluminescence, which is like really bugged the, the color and the aesthetics. And part of it reminds me of the, the sort of 1970s, sort of like black power aesthetics of black velvet paintings. You know, I had an uncle Pablo who lived in, in a, in Brownsville in Brooklyn and and you know he had black lights and the beads in his apartment and then he had like ladies with you know big froze on on top of a black panther on black velvet right and then the black light would make them glow and that whole thing and and that aesthetic so I think that it's really cool to play with materials and and have the materials give more depth more power more um you know, bring the story out more. Yeah. I'm excited about your process and I want to see those pieces. I'm going to, after this, I'm going to Google velvet painting. Cause I, I would never, I, you know, they're amazing pieces. I remember going to Brooklyn and, you know, my uncles, uh, my aunts too, even I think had those posters. We didn't have them in my home. Um, so I never really got to see them until I went to places like that. And, uh, but I would have never, I, I would have just thought they would have been manufactured or something. There has to be a more artistic process to that, obviously. So I want to see, yes, <laughs> please do that. I've also found like a, an interesting collection of Chicano, like Chicano revolutionary <laughs> black velvet paintings, which doesn't surprise me, you know, and definitely I, you know, when you spoke to earlier about where you grew up, like that's definitely part of my flavor, my upbringing as well in Brooklyn, the proximity always to African-American culture um, and also appreciating very much what happened in the West Coast between uh, Chicano culture and African-American culture, too. You know, in, in my rematriated years, one of the bands that I listen to most is War. And it's a band from that time in the 70s that got that flavor. And it's like, it's, it's funny, like the more I'm here, you would think I'm listening to Trova and Bomba and stuff. And it's actually because I'm here, I need to connect to the music, especially from that time when I was born to to root myself. Right. So it, it's it's sort of like an interesting way to to reconnect and always pay homage to Brooklyn, my other, my other womb, my other mother. <laughs> How do you uh, connect with other artists over there? My, you know, my, my, I have a, I think I have a couple of friends now who are artists living in different places. One is in Mayaguez, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, and that's where my mother was born. And so I've been there once now, I believe, and I'd love to come back. Uh, but I'm also like wondering how the artist community 
you know, you you you're from New York, so you probably have a sense of what it's like in New York, especially a big place like New York and Philly. You've been here, you were here a couple of years, so you can probably see the difference between New York and Philly, both geographically and just like consciously how artists connect or don't connect. And I'm wondering what it's like on the island. How are artists connecting or are they connecting with each other? Um, it's, it's interesting. Each of those places has had such a unique experience. And Philly was the first place I went to after after school. And Philly was so dope because it was like a big city, but it functioned like a small town. So I found it to be very intimate and everybody knew each other. And I felt like as an artist, you could move easily. Um, at least that's what I perceived through, through different support systems, right? And I felt like in those two years I spent there, I could really take off with my work. Come to New York and then it's just like hella saturated. You just got like lost in that sea of like a mil- everybody and their mother's an artist, right? And and so that was very uh, challenging. And and then here in Puerto Rico, the difference is that I didn't like. I think still, you know, we talk a lot about this process of decentralizing the arts because everything is rooted in in San Juan. You know, like the expectation is that everything you're gonna do, like people come here to check out artists and art studios and in. It's very rare that you see them leave San Juan. And so um, in my case, where I live in the West, like San Juan is like two and a half hours from me. So for me, it's like, that's like a commute from Brooklyn to Philly, right? Nobody's going to be like, yo, let me just go to Philly for shits and giggles. Like it's, it's like, it's, it's a production. It's a road trip for us. And so Mayagüez does have its art scene, um, the other thing that we see happening a lot here is like gentrification or, you know, a lot of displacement. So you lot of see a lot of businesses open and close in Mayagüez. There used to be a gallery called Galeria Betances that was only there for about five years. And in those few five years, like they did excellent work. They circulated so many artists, exhibitions, group exhibitions, solo exhibitions. I was scheduled to have an exhibition there, a solo exhibition in the summer of 2020, and it closed like a month before, two months before. Um, and then we haven't had anything since, you know? So Mayagüez kind of had like this scene, but you have now, it's interesting, with having opened this space in Mayagüez, you have creative people doing really good work. You have spaces like Taller Lumpen, that's just doing like a lot of like radical street art and working with the community. You have um, Taller Libertad, which is also the home of Vuelta Bajo, which is like a, a theater, like a people's theater, community theater, radical theater group. Um, and, you know, one of the people, you know, two of the people, I should say, that I'm so very closely uh, connected to here is actually the person who brought me to Philly. So Damari Burgos, who's a painter, and her husband, Ramon Lopez, they both studied at Temple. And Damari grew up in Philly, but her family's from here, and so is Ramon. So they made the decision to move here. And that's when her position was available. And I was the one who took that position at Taller Puerto Riqueño. And so we reunited here in El Oeste, and we still are in communication and, and try to work together. I actually did workshops at her space with La Brigada Solidaria del Oeste, um, you know, in the last two weeks. So we still have that relationship. Nice. That's, that's great. 
I, I do. My, my partner and I, we have talked about, we'll continue to talk about, we're trying to figure out the way forward to uh, rematriating to the island. And, and you know, one of, one of the big ideas we have, well, part of it, my part of my idea, I think she, she's on board with this, of course, um, is like creating a space that will allow for us to be creative and have other creative people, you know, definitely get back to the roots of the earth and do farming and gardening and, you know, that kind of attempt at self-sustainability, if you will. I, I don't know how easy that is. I've seen people do it on the island, so I know it's possible. But it takes time, and it takes money, and it takes commitment. And uh, we, we haven't quite gotten all of those things lined up yet. So I, I think the other thing that I appreciate is, you know, folks who are who were maybe born and raised here and have moved over there because of the gentrification that's happening. The big reason why I want to go and and set up roots at some point in the near future, I hope. Uh, and this leads me to a question, which is, you know, the latest news and the and the rancor on the, around the, the islands, the, you know, self-determination and all of that is something that I've been trying to pay close enough attention to to see where it's headed. And I'm not really sure what's coming down the pike, but I'm wondering you know, as somebody who's on the ground, particularly with the artists, how are artists responding to the to the stuff that we're hearing about uh, statehood and uh, the 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 next referendum and all of those things? Um, it's interesting. Beyond the referendum, um, before the referendum, or this recent conversation around referendum, I I think that. Um, I, I've seen a trend, like I call I call it a trend, and I hope it's not a trend. And the reason why I say that is that from in in, in my career, in my trajectory as an artist, I I am very aware of the spaces that I have been locked out of and conversations, um, because of the political content of my work. Right. And because of specifically wanting liberation for Puerto Rico. But what I have seen since Hurricane Maria is this sort of like expansion of that conversation and seeing it come into the art much more. Right. And then seeing that in exhibitions and other spaces, this is more widely um, accepted and included. Right. Um, so I hope that it's not just a trend that's going to stop. I think that Hurricane Maria made the conversation of Puerto Rico a little more a little more wide in the states. It brought funders to Puerto Rico. It, it, I say it's a trend because it's like something happens and everybody jumps on it, right? But like how how deeply are people committed to seeing things change and seeing things happen? Um, but I think that the artists who have always been talking about this are still talking about this and trend after trend, we're still going to be talking about it. Referendum or no referendum, we're still going to be doing it. Um, but you do see a lot more uh, initiatives of working with people on the street, um, working with through either film, through music, through, like I said, with Vuelta Bajo, theater, um, to just bring this to, you know, lack of a better term, to the masses, right? And to, and I think the important thing too, what you see more around like sort of the mutual aid tradition is getting it also out of the institutions so that it reaches into the communities, right? And like, not all of this could go down in a gallery. <laughs> not all of this could go down in a museum. It's, it's also going into the communities to bring that work there as well. Oh, that's beautiful to hear too. 
Uh, and again, I don't know. I don't. I don't profess to know because I am not that tied in as I'd like to be. But it does concern me with the the fate of the island and what you know. What I see, I see the Jake Pauls and the others who are coming to the island to to benefit off of the the, the tax. Uh, um, I want to call it tax evasion. I, I think we can call it that. Um, but you know, the the tax haven that it is had is become for for many people who are uh, just exploiting the the political elements of political cor- corruption if you will that's on the island so it's it's nice to know that people are more engaged and hopefully when i when i get there <laughs> i'll be able to plug into those communities because that's really those are the those are the folks that i want to be around and building with I, i'm curious about like family for you you mentioned you have a family and how maybe that impacts your art how it informs your art how it impacts your creative consciousness like even just your schedule like how do you how do you how do you do the thing that is a it can be a challenge for an artist who is you know not living in the studio by themselves and is self-funded and all of that like how do you how do you do the balancing thing it's it's i see right like balancing (laughs) um like right now with the space in my yard where so it's you know i was writing something earlier today where i was reflecting on my experience in new york city with the boroughs i lived in you know a lot of times you live in brooklyn maybe you work in manhattan and you have family in the bronx or whatever right like we are hopping and those are islands right that's another reality that people overlook that new york city is a series of islands and we cross bridges and cross water um so I've been an island girl since jump, right? But here, I live in Aguada. My kids go to school in Aguadilla. And my art space is in Mayagüez. But we have one car. <laughs> and so a lot of times, you know, recently, like this space has only been open for two and a half months. And I had this these folks that were telling me, like, we've been to your space you know we've been a couple of times but it's closed because we go like at three o'clock when we leave our space and i'm like no nah, but at three o'clock i'm like dashing to aguadilla to pick up my kids so i'm not there um so yeah like wherever like and that's another reason why i'm not going to know san juan like if for me to go to san juan my kids can't go to school right like it's an, a, a conversation or a decision. Like if I got to rent a car to exhibit at your space, like I'll just be chilling with my website or social media because, you know, we don't have the resources for things like that. And we have to be practical with stuff like that. And there was a time where I think when you're younger, it's like you get invited to exhibit and you, I used to be like banging canvases on the subway, you know, and at one point I was like, is it worth it like to just jack up your stuff like making the effort to go to all these places right and and had mentors that would start to say you gotta demand more integrity and dignity and how you do this you don't have to say yes to everything you could demand that things get picked up and and stuff like that but definitely with children i've had to prioritize and i think that opening my own space has been a beautiful response to that like the 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 power of the of what it is to have a sovereign space yo we're open when i can be <laughs> not when you want me to be not when you're gonna pay me to be just when i can i'll be there and i'll communicate and i'll let it be known and if the community needs something then we'll do it and if i feel like 
I want to do a talk on something, I don't have to wait for someone to invite me. And if I want to exhibit a, a canvas, I don't need to wait for somebody to say, bring this to our gallery or our institution. Like I could just show up and put it up. You know, it, it's just, I've always been that way. I've always been like very anti-authoritarian. <laughs> so I can't believe it's taken this long for me to figure out that I needed a space. Um, I opened up the space before I knew that I needed a space. It just kind of happened and was offered and provided. And then it was the space that I never needed, knew I needed, you know. Um, but definitely as parents and families, we need more sovereignty in our lives. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that response. It's, it's a parent who have kids now in college. Well, one in college, one graduate from college. Making art is easier schedule wise, but not that, you know, the creative process is still what it is. So, but schedule wise is the difference in my life now as, as I'm older and they're older. Uh, and speaking of young people, um, you know, as we wind up, I want to ask, I always ask my, my guests if there's something that they could say to emerging artists and, and that could be young artists or people who are our age or older, just getting into art, but want to be career minded or professional minded about it. What could you give them as tidbits of advice or insights to kind of hone their craft, focus on what they need to do. From your experience, what can you share that would be the most enlightening? Um, the importance of authenticity, the importance of finding your own voice, your own language, visual language, um, not doing something because it's a trend, not um, toning your voice down, your content, your style, your color, your light down, make other people comfortable to make yourself be more appealing to others. Um, just the importance that if you could just focus and hone in on that authenticity that only you can bring, then that's going to align you to just all the things that are for you in this world. You know, we don't need, we need artists, but we don't need these copycat artists that are all doing similar stuff. I think that especially with social media where we see all of these things coming out, it's very easy to replicate, right? You got the slang from the Bronx being spoken in like Tennessee uh, or like there's no culture is no longer like specific to spaces and people. It's like everything is becoming scarily homogenous, I feel. Um, so it, it's a time that, no, we need those unique voices, those unique visions, um, to be expressed because if we don't tell our story, other people will and then they'll jack it up. Uh, so that's what I'll say. Tell, tell your story or that only you know in the way you know how and the way you live it. Um, be unique to your own specific self. Awesome. Awesome. That was inspiring to me. I, I believe in authenticity. I definitely want to find my own space now, too. I'm, I'm going to hunt around Philly and see if I can find the space. This is the second time it's sort of come up in a conversation, and I feel like there's, uh, there's divinity in that. So I'm going to take heed to that advice and see what I can do here. And please, I would love to see you in Mayagüez. So if ever you make it down, please let me know. Yeah, yeah, we're hoping to travel soon this year for sure. You know, we we missed a year. We tried to get there this past uh, Christmas. Uh, as you know, it's the best time to be there, or one of the best times to be there, and uh, we just couldn't make it work. So, uh, you know, hoping sometime this spring, maybe or this summer. So, yeah, I will definitely come by and see your space and talk art and and other things. Yeah, awesome. 
speaking of your art, and particularly like where people can find you online, recognizing that a lot of my listeners are probably going to be all around the world and not in <laughs> in Puerto Rico. So oh, where can people find your art as well as are there any ways that they can support your your new center, your new space? And especially if like you need materials that can be donated. I know, you know, from the artist's perspective, money is always great. So like tell us how we can see your art and ways that we can support what you're doing there in your collective. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Um, my website is Yasmin Hernandez Art. Uh, that's Y-A-S-M-I-N Hernandez Art at um, dot com. Belong. Yasmin um, to support, oh my gosh, so Cucubanacion is the space. You can find information about it. There's a tab right on my website. I'm also on social media, Yasmin Hernandez Art on IG and Instagram and um, Facebook as well, Cucubanacion. It's Cucubano and Cucuban Nacion, the nation. Um, trying to do workshops, oh my gosh, like art workshop materials. That would be beautiful because if I could get materials and I could do workshops for free and not have to charge the community, you know, um, so that would be helpful. Um, on my website, there's information on how to support. Um, also, PayPal is, you know, Yaza Hernandez Art. If you did want it to support at gmail.com is my email. But um, thank you, because I never ask those questions. <laughs> I'm always, I'm Gen X, so like we don't be asking like that. We're a little shy about those things. Uh, so I, I appreciate you um, mentioning. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, you know, my premise for creating this podcast is a little bit selfish because I want to learn from all the artists I get to talk to and meet new people. I've, I've been talking to a lot of people I know, so that's helpful. But I, I, you know, I want to build this to be more than just the people I know, people I get to know. And I want, I just want people, I want each one to teach one. That's kind of my philosophy. And artists to help artists learn, uh, but also art lovers to help artists, right? So buying a piece is important to an artist, uh, but supporting artists in other ways is, is, is vital, especially if you're in the community working as an educator in that context. I know a lot of educators who, who struggle with just in the school systems, right? We hear about this all the time and, and they have a little bit of resources. So those who are independent of a school system or some kind of system definitely are, you know, are, are doing the thing to, to try and make it, to make it work. So anything I can do to help is why this podcast exists. So. Thank you. I'm grateful. Super grateful. Thank you. Well, thank you again for making the time to, to be on the show. Uh, I tell my guests that this is generally not one shot. We will have you back on the show because there's so much more we could talk about. I'm, uh, I'm clear on that. And, uh, you know, as time progresses and, uh, you know, I get more into my conversations with other artists, I plan to bring in, bring back the folks that I've had on the show to continue conversations, expand on the new work that they're doing, new exhibits. Uh, insights, etc. So stay tuned. I'd I love to have you back on. I would love to be back on. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. Well, enjoy your night. I appreciate your time and um, we'll see each other really soon. You are. You are. Thank you. I'll see you in Mayagüez. <laughs> ah, for sure. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pardon My Art podcast. I hope that you learned something or were inspired by something that our guest had to say. Our goal is to build one of the largest networks of artists with the simple motto of Each One Teach One. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to my Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Oscar, and Oscar is spelled with a K, or you can visit my website at oscarcastro.com. Well, that's all for now. 
Stay tuned for more interesting conversations with artists who are ready to share their amazing stories and inspire you to create your own. Remember, art is for everyone, and anyone can do it. Be good to yourself, and do great things.